welcome to episode 9 of the Cleans and Queens podcast. Today I'm having a chat with the lead strength conditioning coach of the Scottish women's national cricket team, Charlotte Dalton. Charlotte, in her own words, accidentally stumbled into a career in SNC after completing a biochemistry BSc at the University of Sussex before realising she wanted a career in sports. She then completed a sports and exercise science and medicine MSc at the University of Glasgow, where she landed her first strength conditioning role. Charlotte is currently in her third season with Scotland's national women's cricket team, working part-time with a lot of remote coaching involved, um, partly due to the geographical spread of the players. Charlotte also has a few other roles within basketball and as a cricket coach too. Really looking forward to having a chat with Charlotte and as always, let us know what you think, either by leaving a comment or review on iPlayer or you can find me on Twitter at Lucy Jane. Enjoy. So, hi Charlotte, welcome to the Cleans and Queens podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No worries. So, um, do you want to give our listeners a bit of a background about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose like, I was always quite a sporty kid um, and I played most team sports uh, when I was at school. Uh, so, netball, basketball, football, tennis, rounders, cricket, table tennis. Um, bit of everything then? <laughs> just Yeah, a little bit of everything. Mostly team sports. Um, wasn't really into sort of gymnastics and having to point my toes and stuff. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I also that kind of led me to playing for external clubs. I played uh, under sixteen national league basketball, senior local league basketball, um, as a junior. Played football for in the London girls, uh, club tennis, club cricket. So yeah, like just really sporty. Um, um, I don't really know why. Um, like my mum and dad were kind of sporty, but not really as adults once they had family and stuff. But uh, yeah, just loved it. Um, and I actually started coaching while I was at school as well. Um, had like an introductory, um, like coaching leadership qualification, and I think I was about fourteen or fifteen when I did that. Um, and that led me to sort of like assisting at multi-sports summer camps and stuff, um, which was amazing because it was like fifteen years old, like getting your first like coaching <laughs> pay packet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Um, and that just kind of led me to doing more and more work. Um, a similar work over the next few years uh, and even delivering P curriculum in primary schools, uh, after school clubs, leading up summer camps rather than assisting. Okay, nice. So did you, so you went to uni and did you, when did you go to uni actually? Um, So I did my undergrad at Sussex um, and I did did biochemistry uh, there. Okay, so... Yeah, I was going to say, so did you carry on with, what sports did you go through when you were at uni? Um, so I played basketball and cricket when I was at uni, um, which was kind of nice because it's like winter sport, summer sport, and meant that basically I didn't have any like off-season for <laughs> loads of years. <laughs> Keeps you going. Um, so did you have SNC as an athlete there? No, um, no SNC experience at all uh, during my undergrad. I was, um, like, I got, like, a little, like, athlete support, uh, like, bursary thing for playing National League basketball, but that okay. didn't include uh, S&C, um, so that was just, like, you got, like, free parking if you had a car. Um. <laughs> yeah, the little parks, yeah, that everyone else gets jealous of. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have a car, so I didn't have oh. parks, <laughs> Um. So, what was it that led you to want to become an S&C coach, then, if you had no experience of it before? 
Yeah, I suppose like I got into S&C without consciously making a decision, which sounds a bit weird. Um, <laughs> but I knew really early on into my biochemistry degree that I didn't want to do it. Um, and I, it was hard in a good way, but not in a way that I wanted to spend my life yeah. and dedicate my life to it. Um, working in a lab or something like that it was just I felt quite isolated and quite enjoyed the contact of other people and that's you know there's obviously great people doing great things in labs but uh, it just wasn't for me um but I stuck with it and after I graduated I just bummed about for a little bit I didn't really know what I wanted to do <coughs> excuse me and I worked in a shop for a couple of years like saved money up um but it was just kind of at a loss yeah. and then just had this like massive epiphany I was watching a cricket game and I was like, why don't I work in sport? Like, <laughs> I love sports and I don't know why I'm not yeah. working in sports. It just makes sense. And I don't know why it took me so long to realise <laughs> this. I always thought, like, sports would be something I'd do, like, as a hobby and I'd, like, go to work and then I'd just have, like, sports or enjoyment on the yeah. side. And so I was like, this is nuts that I'm not doing that and mm-hmm. I'm not doing a job that I love. Um, but I realised that I wasn't really <clears throat> qualified enough to get a job in sports, like I had mm-hmm. some coaching experience, but it's not like a great pathway um, unless you're an elite coach, and I wasn't there. So I did uh, a master's at Glasgow Uni, uh, so moved up to Glasgow from, from Brighton, um, and did a master's in sports and exercise science and medicine. Okay. Um, to give me like a good sort of base foundation in sort of sports science. Yeah. So then... Was at that point that you thought that S&C was the way to go or were you still thinking along the lines of coaching as in like skills coach? I kind of thought that I would go into sports science because I was like, oh, I've got my biochemistry background and sports. Like that's like a mm-hmm. nice little marriage of the two. Um, and just the courses that I picked as part of my master's sort of inadvertently set me up for S&C. Yeah. Um, so it was yeah. about like, preparation of world-class athletes and a bit of anatomy and just motor skills and learning rather than actually like the the sports side side of things and and we did have to do like practical um, vo2 max sessions and stuff like that so i had that as well but Mm -hmm. all of my optional courses yeah just accidentally or subconsciously (laughs) set me up for snc um and we had a a guest lecture on um, like physical preparation Mm-hmm. Uh, by Andy White, who um, at the time was working at Kilmarnock Football Club. And he also had a company called Athlete Focused, um, which is like a physical prep company. Mm-hmm. And I just sent a little uh, little email afterwards just saying, mm-hmm. like, really liked your, you know, your lecture and I'd be interested in some work experience if you could, if that's something you'd be interested in. Um, and so after that initial inquiry, I ended up um, doing some like shadowing work with the boat club at Glasgow Uni. Um, who athlete focused sort of delivered SNC to, and uh, uh, like a sort of eight or nine month internship um, stemmed out of that. So, and that was really it. I was just like, yeah, like this is for me because actually, it's got that real sort of practical coaching side um, and those soft skills around coaching that you need, but also you can, you know, there is quite a lot of. Um, science and research and rationale behind your exercise selection and you know, your testing and your monitoring and stuff so you get that data side of things as well so it's quite, quite a nice yeah um, combination it's, of that 
it's interesting how a lot of um, opportunities come about from someone just getting in touch. So like you getting in touch with the guest lecturer. Um, I've seen that happen quite a lot that it just takes you to kind of step out of your comfort zone a little bit just to kind of be like, hi, <laughs> I'm here. I'd like to follow you or I'd like to, you know, learn from you. Um, so, yeah, it's quite a common thing. I think we need to probably do more of actually. Um, so do you want to give a bit of uh, overview of where you are now? So what, who are you coaching? What are you doing? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm the s coach for the Scotland women's cricket team. And I'm currently in my third season with them, um, although COVID has kind of um, <laughs> messed things up a little bit uh, in, in that sense. Um, but yeah, so for me, I didn't intend on getting this job um, okay. with the women's national team. I interviewed for a regional coach um, mm-hmm. to work with some of their high-performance athletes. Um, and then just got the call like, yeah, so we've got a proposition for you. How would you like to take the, the women's national team on? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I've been doing for the last three years. That's just a part-time role. Um, so I juggle a couple of other things on the side as well. But um, I would call that my primary um, primary job. And that's um, that just involves mostly remote coaching, uh, just the way that our setup is and, and some of the sort of constraints that that we work in, mm-hmm. um, primarily the geographical spread of our athletes yeah. across Scotland, the UK, and sometimes uh, into other hemispheres, um, mm. makes it challenging. And they are, uh, they're all studying or they're all working full time. So it's actually fitting in their cricket and their SNC around other commitments that they've got. So um, predominantly remote coaching, programming, um, testing, and uh, sometimes I go away on tour with them as well and um, just depends on perks <laughs> yeah. um so what do you have a do you normally have a typical kind of day what does that look like for you when you're working with the cricket girls there is no such thing no <laughs> uh, it does not exist I thought um, that might have been the case <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's really yeah it's really really flexible um there are some times where like just an average sort of pre-COVID week, um, it might be that um, I get around to different gyms in the evenings and run small group sessions or individual sessions a um, couple of evenings a week. And then if we have national squad training camps at the weekend, it'll be um, being present sort of at both days of the weekend, running warm-ups um, and activations. I'll probably get um, a bit of time to work on maybe some accelerations, decelerations, um, integrate some stuff into some fielding drills and everyone's favourite uh, fitness testing. Uh, <laughs> sure, they love you for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... so that, that, it's not so much a typical day, but just a kind of typical Yeah, day. like what you cover normally, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so do you have a coaching philosophy that you stick by when you work with the ladies' team? Um, yeah, I suppose, I think philosophy is probably like a, quite a, a defined uh, term. Um, I think certainly like it's something that is always evolving and always developing with experience, different experiences. Um, but I think for me, it's do the basics well, 
mm-hmm. try not to overcomplicate things. And I think that's that can be quite challenging sometimes, particularly with all of these fancy things that go on on social media, and it, it just looks really fun and like, yeah, like we should do that. Um, so it's not not to be swayed away from yeah. doing the basics well, um, and then you know make a real effort to build relationships um, and get to know the people that you're working with, both athletes and, and other members of staff and administrators, because um, ultimately we're coaching humans. Um, and so I think it's just about, you know, trying to get that connection, motivate people, support them, um, and all around just be like a nice person. Um, <laughs> that helps, yeah. <laughs> with a nice back to you as well. Um, so, yeah, there's not, you know, not a huge mu- much more to my coaching philosophy at the moment, but just, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that it's always evolving, and I think that's so true. That like you could have one experience, and you think, yeah, this is my coaching philosophy. This worked really well. This is how I should be, and then you're learning from a different environment or a different situation. You think actually, maybe this is more the way to think. But no, I definitely agree with that. Um, so when you were with coaching at the University of Glasgow, so that that was with athlete focused, is that right? Yeah, so with Athlete Focus, and then I also um, did the SNC for the men's basketball team and still do the SNC for the women's basketball team. Okay, so when so you've worked with both male and female athletes then, so do you ever find yourself interacting with them differently? So that could be, do they have different motivations? Do you have different conversations, relationships with them? How does that look for you? Um, I would say probably generally... It's more about differences in individuals rather than differences in gender. Mm-hmm. Um, just in, like just based on my experiences, I thought as a whole, like the boat club that I did my internship with, um, were everybody was hugely motivated. Mm-hmm. Like proper self starters, uh, you know, would come in, just do their prehab straight away. Like you didn't even have to tell them; they just like just knew what they were doing. I don't know if that's just a rowing thing. Um, <laughs> But that you know that was that was really good, and and so both the, the male and female athletes were excellent at that. Um, I do find that uh, female athletes tend to ask more questions um, <laughs> and want to know why they're doing things, what the purpose of certain exercises or certain um, sessions are, and guys will generally just be like okay (laughs) no questions asked Um, yeah and in that sense actually you know all of the the male athletes that I've I've worked with have been you know hugely respectful there's not been any sort of like uh, she's a woman SNC coach like she Mm. obviously doesn't know what she's doing in fact it's been the opposite and, and everyone's just been like well you're clearly here because somebody thinks that you're qualified or you're experienced and you know what you're doing and so I'll accept that and um yeah respectful and and so that's that's been good i've not had any negative experiences around that um but yeah i just think it's about you will inevitably get some people who are not driven uh, or not Mm -hmm. motivated um to do to do their snc and do their extra sessions um on top of their uh their skill stuff or their their sport stuff um but actually it's it's like how do you connect with those people Um, yeah and get across that this is also really important for their for their sporting performance. So you, you're always going to come across those people, and actually that's where the individual differences are, are probably most obvious. And I'm just trying to figure them out and work with them. 
Okay, so um, it is funny that you said that it's women asking more questions. So you must have um, agreed with Sophie Pidcock when she was talking about the, the two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because that's identical, yeah. Um, I was like walking in the rain listening to that podcast, like just nodding along, like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I do agree. I think the teams that women's teams that I've worked with um, at university um, definitely ask more questions, but I didn't know whether that was just because they are female or because they were beginners to SNC. So I didn't know between that. But yeah, it is interesting to hear more and more teams, um, more and more coaches, should I say, saying the same thing about. We do, we do like to know. Like, I ask so many questions. I must drive yeah, like, the as wall. a woman, like, uh, like, I can totally see it. But yeah. just, I think it's, you know, it might just be, like, we're inherently a bit more social. Um, yeah, it could be. a bit more curious, maybe. Could um, well be. <laughs> so, um, you told me before, before we had to start this podcast, that you, at one point, were the SNC coach and you played for the Scottish women's cricket team. How did that bring up any challenges? So you're both their coach and their teammate. How did that work? Um, yeah, it was a pretty unexpected call up. So I was in my second season uh, with the team and had performed really well at club level and just got a call from the head coach. And so just thought it was about work. So I answered and I was like, oh, like, hey, like, yeah, so this is the plan for this week. And he was just like, oh, uh, I'm not I'm not calling about that. I'm, I'd like to see if you can play this weekend for the Scotland A team. And I was like, oh, <laughs> playing cricket for Scotland A? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Um, and yeah, that was it. So I played, um, so we've got like the Scotland team, which played international fixtures, and then Scotland A team played domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, and up until I was in a, a twist of fortune, um, I played in the last season that, um, caps were awarded for playing domestically. Ah, okay. So that's how I earned my caps. You can't anymore, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> probably, probably as it should be. Um, but yeah, so it was it was a bit of a, a mad time because it wasn't planned and I hadn't expected it. Um, it was just it was challenging because I had to fulfil like two roles simultaneously. Yeah. Um, and. I think I did a pretty good job of making it really clear to the players like what hat I had on at any given time. So like right now I'm a player and then yeah. like right now I'm S&C. Internally, it was a real battle. Um, okay. And I found it really difficult to to just know how to be because obviously like as a member of support staff, you're a bit of a confidant for, for the athletes and they'll come to you and, mm-hmm. you know, speak about things that they're struggling with and that's absolutely our role and it you know really think that's important that we have that open um discussion and it was just really difficult being a player and then being like I still want I still want you to be able to come to me but obviously I'm just dealing with like being a player myself right now and and some of the difficulties there um but it was it was an amazing experience like I didn't ever think I'd I'd be in that situation where I would get to to represent Scotland um certainly not uh, <laughs> well as a member of staff um, and I, I did get um, not told off but I kept forgetting when I was a player so I'd do like the warm-up <laughs> on a game day 
and all the players would go off to like finish their preparations. They'd go to the changing room, and I'd be there like picking cones. Up. <laughs> like, will you go? And I yeah, like forgot like I'm a player today. Um, but yeah, like a, a brilliant summer, um, and uh, you know, and treasure my cap. Um, yeah, we had a really cool like presentation last year where we got caps awarded. Um, so like that's that's a memory for forever. Um, but work is is for longer term. Yeah, yeah. So how did the players react to that? So obviously having you them having you as their coach and then as a teammate, how did they react to that? Were they good? They were a bit awkward with it? How were they? Um, from my point of view, and I suppose like I don't know, I can't speak for the players, um, but I think they were brilliant. Um, it was obviously a, probably as much of a surprise for, for them as it was for me when they found out that <laughs> I'd be making appearance that next weekend. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they were really good, and because I, you know, I tried to make it clear that obviously it was a quite a unique situation mm-hmm. uh, and not something that I'd ever had to deal with before, and something they'd not really had to deal with before. Um, but it was a little bit of trial and error, and but ultimately, whether as a teammate or as a member of staff, like they could always still come and speak to me, and it would still be in confidence because I think it's, you know, the 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 playing side of things is so short term. Yeah that actually the longer term um, effect of or the impact of being able to maintain that um, like coach player relationship was was more important Um, and yeah and the coaching staff were fine and it was it was good apart from when I kept trying to put cones away (laughs) Um, but you know all in all it, it was a really positive experience I think it was more just sort of internal battles about sort of imposter syndrome and yeah uh, and stuff like that and you know that was new for me that was the highest level that I'd ever played any sport at uh, I felt you know pretty unprepared for it but <laughs> um that's just how it was everybody around me was was really supportive and, and you know made that a uh, an easy process when it could have been Hard. you know super challenging yeah no that's an amazing experience to have though as well to get a cap um, when you never thought you'd actually play at that level. No, that's that must be re- like a very, very good memory. Um, so do you see being a female SNC coach specifically, do you see that as an advantage or a disadvantage in the industry at the moment? Um, I'd say not necessarily either. Mm-hmm. Um, although, you know, I think ultimately the best people should get get the jobs yeah. um it just happens to be that we're in a, a very male dominated industry and sports in general is a very male dominated industry so i think as females we've generally had to navigate navigate and sometimes battle through sort of that male dominance um and inevitably that will build resilience and you know force us whether we want to or not to um you know communicate really effectively in order to get ourselves heard or to get our points across um and actually that could be completely the same for for male coaches as well i've got yeah not being a male coach don't have that um <laughs> that knowledge or that experience um but i think you know sometimes being a female in sport can be quite a lonely um you know lonely experience so i think you know things like this podcast are are incredible for just uh, visibility and and you know getting our voices heard um but yeah so i don't i think as long as the best coaches get get the jobs and but also not just the jobs but actually 
we're allowing coaches to develop and gain experience. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's so key. Uh, I think sometimes for women, particularly like as, as we get older and we're thinking about like family life and stuff that, you know, that can be quite a daunting prospect um, unless we're in a really secure uh, permanent job that pays maternity leave and, and yeah. stuff like that, that actually, you know, I do lots of little part-time jobs and some of it's self-employed and some of it's uh, like employed, but yeah. you know, what happens if I want kids? Like, how am I going to financially cope? And so I think sometimes that can, yeah that can be an undertone and a challenge um but yeah like i think that resilience that females generally have to build in in working in sports is probably an advantage um, yeah no i definitely agree and it's interesting you bring up that you the consideration of like having a family in future because it's exactly what emily said as well um in the last podcast i think it was um and yeah just the thought of yeah something secure how will that work sports um aren't the best industry for maternity leave or 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 that I've heard of you know like the industry I've I've not really looked into it too much but um but yeah it's interesting like there's quite a few female coaches I've spoken to that have thought about that now um so on that kind of train of thought I had a conversation with a coach or a couple coaches at uh, UKSCA conference and they had suggested so it was a female coach they had suggested that if we just flood the market with female coaches through governance that forces companies to have a balance of male and female staff they thought this was a um, productive way of creating a balance within female SMCs I won't tell you my opinions on that but I would like to know some of yours I feel that um, I suppose like trying to achieve equality through governance and quotas isn't a new concept. I think mm-hmm. particularly at board level and senior management level within lots of organisations, that's a route that they've gone down. Um, I don't know enough about it to know whether there has been success or that, you know, it kind of feels like a bit of tokenism. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. But I think there certainly can't be from my point of view, I think it's important to see more female SNCs, to see more females um, achieving, you know, the the more high profile jobs in sports, um, whether that's SNC coaches or skills coaches and head coaches. Um, so I just, uh, you know, I think we we work generally in a saturated envir- uh, industry anyway. So it's knowing that how do we make sure that there's enough jobs to go around and that's yeah. you know not talking myself or any other female essences out of a coach but it's you know we know how hard it is to get a job mm-hmm. and to get a job that is secure and you know doesn't isn't season to season or depend on who's managing it at the moment or you know any of those things so yes I think quotas could be a good idea um but I think you'd have to be really clear about the criteria of the quota it's not just having a female snc coach or female snc staff um support staff f- for the sake of it because a quota says so we need to make sure that the right people are appointed yeah um, and also i think it's really important that female coaches and again whether that's snc skills head coaches are appointed in male sports as well as female sports 
because I think it can be quite easy. And I say this from someone working predominantly in women's sports at the moment, that we can be kind of um, typecast into women's working in women's sports. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it's also really important that female SNCs are given or seek or have the opportunity for um, experiences, for qualifications, um, and the opportunity to go for those jobs in male sports mm-hmm. um, and be seen as an equal. Um, and, you know, that's to increase the visibility and actually normalise females working in, in high-performance sport, whether that's males or females, um, and, you know, be role models for the next, the future yeah. female SNC coaches coming through. So we had a little chat just before we started, so I'm just going to spring this question on you, um, about the confidence thing, about applying for jobs. So um, it's been said a few times before that we don't think almost in the same way that some it comes across as some male coaches might apply for jobs that just like, yeah, we'll go for it. They've got the confidence to just say, right, this might be way out of my um, qualification notes or like way out of my league, this job. But you hear a lot of men that go for it. Do you think that that might be preventing us from getting some of these jobs sometimes that we maybe overthink it or or do you think it's just it's just it could be a governance thing that's preventing us? Um, probably a combination of both. I think, you know, again, I can only really speak for myself and mm-hmm. just based on my own experience. I'm certainly guilty of that and not having the confidence to apply for jobs that perhaps I don't meet all of the, the criteria from where other people, and I would say generally men, um, will just apply anyway and have the confidence to do so. But, you know, I suppose the question is whether we're kind of conditioned to think that um, as a result of sport but society in general um, being geared up um, to for the for the sort of success of, of men um, mm-hmm. and that's quite historical and I'm probably getting like quite deep and feminist on that <laughs> no, that's moment, all good but, it's fine um, uh, yeah you know I think we've probably all encountered as, as females working in sport and females in society in general kind of that barrier um, and, and those obstacles that just prevent us from you know, taking yeah. the plunge and having the confidence to submit that CV or put the application in because we just, I think we're conditioned to think that we're, we're not good enough. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how to change that. I think that's a, essentially a purely individual thing, but I think, you know, we're getting so many subliminal messages and subconscious messages. Um, and it's, you know, it's historical that it's, it's you know, quite difficult to overcome. But, yeah, I think it's just not being like I suppose not being afraid of failing yeah and yeah. being knocked back is is difficult and it's it's not a pleasant experience but it's part of the parcel um and I think it's just keep working at it and having the confidence and just knowing that it's not necessarily a reflection a, a reflection on on you um, and try not to take it too personally and you know, keep developing and keep working and get some good feedback um, yeah if you are knocked back and and then action it and it will just, even if you don't get that job in the future, I think it will just help towards you becoming a more well-rounded coach. Yeah, just the experience even uh, would help you go for maybe another job interview or um, another process anyway. Um, do you think that's linked a little bit to the idea of this imposter syndrome? Um, is it something that you've experienced? Is it something you've heard of coaches experience? What's your thoughts? Uh, I I have massive imposter syndrome. Um, 
so again yeah just speaking for me like uh, and uh, it's something that I kind of deal with internally quite a lot um that and uh, you know I'm not good enough and there are inevitably people better qualified and better at the job and are more deserving and on all of these things and, and it's like a constant internal battle to just kind of hush those voices a little bit and you know actually be quite rational mm-hmm. um and say, well, do you know what, like, I have worked hard, and I have built up experience, and I am doing a good job, and I've still got a job, so I can't be doing a bad job, <laughs> um, and, so, yeah, and, and, you know, just having those conversations with yourself, um, so it's certainly something that I've experienced personally, um, and again, yeah, like, super internal, um, mm-hmm. and part of that is my personality type as well, um, like, quite like to internalize all of those things, so, um, it's, it's about, I suppose, knowing that and then having, um, I suppose, ways of dealing with it and, and actually just making sure that the, the positive voices and the, mm-hmm. the, the not imposter syndrome voices are, are louder. And yeah, no, I'd have to agree with that. I think that's the way I, I've definitely got it as well. I think it's really common. I definitely believe that, like, I don't know how I'm here. Like, I in my previous role I was like well how have I got this job no one's the people that have hired me haven't seen me coach so how do they know you know like it's it was stupid thoughts silly thoughts that I kept going around in my head and then the only way that I kind of got over some of them was well actually I've done this so far with these athletes I managed to create this I managed to do this that's actually my job and I've done it um and I've done it well so yeah it's just kind of going on like your experience and what you've actually managed to do and look back at what you've yeah achieved but I definitely think it's a really common thing in uh, female athletes or it could just be athletes and um, not athletes sorry coaches in general as well I don't know maybe it is quite a common thing in male coaches too um yeah. but yeah it's definitely yeah I just definitely thought anyone that hired me that hadn't seen me coach like I must be terrible like uh, like how do they know yeah and I think it's important as well that actually you can find someone not even like as formal as a mentor but just find someone who you can talk to mm-hmm. um, and whether that's like a, a fellow snc or um someone I, I found it helpful to speak to other people in sport actually because yeah. i feel that they're most likely to to be able to understand even if they don't feel it themselves um, and actually it's not even just having an ego boost but it's having someone just reinforce that it is okay and you are good and it's yeah you know it's fine it's like rationalize it for you yeah yeah no that makes sense definitely um so are there any challenges or opportunities that you've come across that you think have happened because you're a female snc um i don't necessarily think i've been afforded any opportunities because i'm a female snc I mean, I don't know, you'd have to hire the people that I've worked for, probably. Um, but I've probably certainly encountered a few challenges. Um, I don't know, like, I don't want to be, like, super negative, um, and I certainly don't want to uh, identify any individuals or yeah. um, settings that, like, they happened in, but there have been occasions where I feel like I might have been sort of bypassed or overlooked um, in just, like, really, really small things, like email chains or being invited to meetings that are like completely relevant to my role um and just sort of being like omitted from them which is just really frustrating because you can't help but think like if I was a male SNC like 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be forgotten about. And so, you know, it's not like general, like, oh, like I didn't get invited to the work night out. Or so. It's not like that, but yeah. it's just like, this is a conversation about like people I'm working with or like directly impacts my my job. And I've just been left out and actually had to hear about it from, from someone else, which mm-hmm. just leaves like not a great taste in your mouth. Um, and there was one occasion where uh, I was essentially expected expected to work for free uh, while an equally qualified but less experienced male coach was paid. Mm, okay. Um, which I was like, I don't know how you can justify that. And no. the, the reason I got was, oh, it will be a good learning experience for you. Wow, okay, yeah. Yeah, that would... Yeah, I don't know how I could react to that. Um, it's very hard to react to things like that as well because you're very conscious about burning bridges with people like you you have we do think about trying to avoid offending people whereas in reality they're offending you you know they're the ones that have asked you this ridiculous request when someone else is actually getting paid for the same role um yeah that's yeah, it's hard. Really difficult because i think particularly in again i don't know if it's if it's a female thing or just a general thing like i think the nature of our work means that it is quite transient and there's you don't necessarily have a lot of security mm-hmm. um and so the fear is if if you if you say hey that that's completely ridiculous or out of order or you know i don't i don't agree with that uh are you literally talking yourself out of job yeah in, in that instance i just said no thank you i don't need that experience yeah. um <laughs> because that's... i have already got some experience that is is relevant uh, and i would quite like you know to be able to pay my rent or my mortgage so uh, <laughs> minor things not and uh, you know there is absolutely um and that's you know young you know younger coaches or aspiring coaches like you are you are going to have to work through there are going to have to be internships and work experience and shadowing and because that's how we learn um, yeah and so it's not to say that like anyone should be above that but i think it gets to a, a point where you have to know your value yeah um and you have to and again like there's that little battle with imposter syndrome yeah but it's like you know your worth and know your value and also start to become aware when people might be trying to whether deliberately or not take advantage of that a little bit and no definitely yeah i agree with that completely there's definitely been situations that with myself or with other coaches i know that have kept being offered these voluntary roles and they've now got their UKSA, they've now got their degree, they've now got their masters they've got a ton of experience and you do question why someone still is offering you voluntary roles um, but definitely understanding your worth is a huge thing I think in SNC especially or just in, maybe just the sports industry um, understanding what you're worth and being confident enough to back that up so you might know what you're worth, but when someone asks you, oh, can you do this for free, have the confidence to say, actually, no, I'm okay, thanks. I've got that. You know, I, I can do something else. I need to pay my rent. Um, yeah. uh, and I think, you know, the more, for, essentially you're calling out, like, um, exploitation a little bit. Yeah. Oh, at yeah. At that stage, you know, not at the work experience mm-hmm. shadowing stage, but at the, like, I'm a paid, yeah. essentially, I'm I'm a professional coach because yeah. I'm getting paid to do a job. Yeah. Um, and until I'm earning like a really good salary and can just help out on the side, that's not something I can afford to give my time to because actually I need to spend my time earning money so that I can pay my mortgage. Yeah. And that's the reality of the situation. I've, I also find that I'm 
these job advertisements that you see on Twitter that get shared by all these SSE coaches. They're like, this is ridiculous. This is voluntary work. And there was some recently, I'm not going to name what company it was yeah, or what industry. Exactly what <laughs> and it was, you know, you needed to have ridiculous amount of qualifications, um, so much experience, but hey, do it because this is you working for a very, very elite level of sport. Do it for free. It's great. I worry sometimes that when you see jobs like that, that people have the confidence to advertise those roles, that then what do the lower league or lower level sports teams, employers, they look up to those jobs to see like, oh, that's what they're paying their athletes or their coaches, sorry. What should we be paying ours? So if the top teams are play, paying pennies for their SNCs or paying nothing for voluntary experience, what do we expect from our teams and sports clubs at, uh, you know, an amateur level, you know, where we're yeah, just setting ourselves up for less yeah, payment. It makes it so difficult for you to justify your worth in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's not backed up by a governing body yeah. or a team or whoever it is that that are, yeah. you know expecting people to be able to work for free. And you know, th- I know the exact <laughs> job advert that you're talking about because it, like tw- tw- went nuts over it, and yeah. it was you know, people are rightly outraged because, you know, you're asking people to have, like, seven to ten years of experience, like, educated to master's or PhD level, like, this and that and that, which all of takes time and investment. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to be geographically mobile and to, you know, do, like, full programming and monitoring and travel with the team. And you just think, well, who is actually going to be able to do this all all of this work for free because well, surely they must also be working well you, you'd hope that but then you wonder if there's people that have now lost work due to covid or just un, like the usual instability within sport you you don't want anyone applying for it because then you're like well then you're almost kicking yourself in the teeth because then you've you know saying oh well actually i will do this for free and therefore you've screwed up for the rest of us trying to get like a basic job <laughs> you know um it's it's bad, but it's it's not just one place either. You see the job advertisements all the time that are working out. You know your full time hours are in sport most of the time. It's over full time hours in awkward times of the day and all sorts. And then they're expecting you to earn less than the minimum wage, which is ridiculous when you look at the qualifications needed. You know you spent what ten grand on a masters so for a one year masters, and you think well I'm not even going to earn that back in that first year of the job. You know, it's. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, and, and the other years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, especially if you're from England. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, sorry, I could go on a rant for that for oh, for days. So I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> um, so if there's any uh, young female SNC coaches listening, what advice would you give them? Um approach people don't be afraid of approaching people and asking to shadow and asking for work experience like at that stage in your career that's so important and you know uh, we spoke about it just before the the podcast um that actually lots of times it's about who you know and, Mm -hmm. and building up a network and and good connections and the only way to do that is is to put yourself out there and speak to people and that could be really scary sometimes Mm -hmm. and people won't reply to emails or they'll kind of shun you or mess you about a little bit and and that will be really frustrating but there are lots of people out there um, who are really keen to help the next 
um, cohort of SNC coaches, and it's just about finding them. Yeah. Um, and just yeah, like be prepared to work in different sports. I think that's really important. Like, don't just shoehorn yourself into like the sport that that you like. Like, I say that like I love cricket and I'm working in cricket, but <laughs> you know. I think it's really important to experience different sports and mm-hmm. understand the needs of those sports and athletes, um, and that will just you know, give you a more well, well-rounded um, you know, experience of delivering SNC programs. Yeah, definitely. I think it's especially the idea of going to different sports. I know so many people that have gone down the route of, oh, I only I play this sport. I play it at maybe an amateur level or just going into pro level. That's the only job that they can work in. <laughs> so you know, they do shoehorn themselves down that route. Whereas I think I've learned so much more from going for, I've never played rugby in my life. It's terrible. I'm shocking at it. But like, <laughs> I've tried, I tried to do a few sessions so that I could learn more about the sport. Um, surprisingly enough, five foot tall is not the way to go in rugby, but um, <laughs> but I've learned so much about the different sports. It's helped my coaching experience by you know taking like coach tennis basketball none of these sports I'm very good at you know and it's improved my coaching I believe anyway yeah and I think it also opens up job opportunities for you because if you just think that I'm only a coach that can work in x sport Mm -hmm. then you're eliminating all of the other sports as as possible um, yeah employment opportunities so yeah just you know ultimately a lot of the stuff that we do as strength and conditioning coaches is like quite generic mm-hmm. um, and then as you, you know there will obviously be some specifics within yeah. each sport or each um event that that are specific to to, to that but in general get the basics you can't reinvent the yeah you can't reinvent the wheel there's only so much that we can, we can yeah do, um, with our bodies so yeah it's about how you apply it so is there anything any kind of resources that you've use constantly it could be podcasts could be books websites online that you would recommend um i think almost everybody has said it but um pacey performance podcast yeah. <laughs> is fire um and it's so good um was there anything that professor sophia nymphius mm-hmm. um does she's like huge presence on twitter uh, and actually she was on the pacey performance podcast probably about a month ago yeah um doing uh like a challenges of female uh essences and it was amazing um so that pod like that particular episode in particular but um, yeah yeah that was brilliant so yeah anything she does she's really big on change of direction and agility uh so like just some excellent work and um you know she she's in academia so a lot of stuff is is um quite um research based but then she's also an excellent coach so you also see the practical side mm-hmm. of it as well which i think is a really good uh link up for for essence like for essences working in the field um and then i'm also doing the altis uh, foundation courses um at the moment okay um, that was a that was a lockdown project that um i haven't quite progressed uh, <laughs> through as much as i had hoped um, <laughs> but that's been really good so far um and so that's yeah, that's a that's a good resource. Uh, there's that seems you know really well put together. Uh, you get to join what you know once you pay for the course, you get to join like a like a closed Facebook group, and there's like really good discussions going on in that. So okay. Um, so there are your three. It's perfect. So I think I've heard I've heard a lot about the Altis um, Foundation courses actually. Um, something I haven't done yet, 
must, must be something I need to look into, I think. Um, and definitely the Pace Performance podcast with Sophia Nymphis. Um, yeah, that that was incredible. It was very, very good. And it was shared all over the place. Still getting shared now all over Twitter. Um, so if anyone listening is would like to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, I... I'm not super active on social media. Um, I have an Instagram because I'm not cool enough or young <laughs> enough to have an Instagram. Um, I am on Twitter. I don't really post much co- coaching stuff. I kind of use that as like silent stalking. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. an occasional re- uh, retreat or a, or a like. Um, but you can get me on Twitter. I'm at Charlotte D05. Okay. Um, or shoot me an email. Um, probably the best way to get hold of me. Okay, perfect. I'll put the put these on the podcast bio at the end. So if anyone's listening, they can find it on there. And yeah, but perfect. That's all. But thank you very much for coming on. It's been a great chat. We did go into a bit of a rant at some point. So <laughs> I'm glad there's someone that agrees with me. Um, but thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's been uh, really great to, to chat. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you very much. And we'll catch up soon. <laughs> Thanks for listening to episode 9 of the Cleans and Queens podcast with Charlotte Dalton. Charlotte obviously has a fantastic role within women's cricket in Scotland and it's great to hear her thoughts on her own philosophies and the differences that she's found between coaching male and female athletes. There were definitely some all too familiar points made about some of the difficulties Charlotte has faced as a female SNC, but I think it's important to talk about them and find solutions moving forward. Please, if you enjoyed our episode or have any feedback, Drop me a message on Twitter or leave a review on iPlayer. I've also included Charlotte's contact details in the bio if you want to reach out to her too. Thanks for listening.